0: The United States has entered a confusing phase of the pandemic in which there are equal parts hope and despair. This afternoon, the nationwide death toll topped 300,000 as hospitalizations and new cases continue to soar. Yet, some thousands of Americans are getting the first vaccines manufactured from Pfizer. Here's how the initial rollout will work here. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego Newsfix. Jonathan Wozen, you're covering all things vaccine for the San Diego Union Tribune, and the county got its first vaccines today. What are you hearing from those that are first on the list to receive it?
1: Yeah, well, we're hearing a lot of of excitement. Uh, So San Diego County, uh, which has said that they were expecting about 28,000 doses of vaccine, uh, got a shipment early this morning. Uh, Basically, it looked like three large boxes of frozen, deep frozen vials of Pfizer's vaccine. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to talk to an infectious disease expert at UCSD who was very excited, very hopeful, uh, but also said that this isn't the end, it's not the middle, it's possibly the end of the beginning uh, of this pandemic, and that we've still got a ways to go, especially this winter. Uh, but having a vaccine, especially one that we know does a really, really good job of keeping you from getting sick um, is going to do a lot in terms of immediately helping people in hospitals, people who work in hospitals, helping people who live in nursing homes, um, and then gradually, uh, frankly, helping the rest of us um, keep down the spread of this virus. So a lot of hope, but some some caution there as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And Pfizer's vaccine requires it to stay extremely cold. Can you explain the kind of supply chain challenges that this creates to make sure that this vaccine still works once it gets on someone's arm?
1: Yeah, so Pfizer's vaccine has to be kept at at minus 70 degrees Celsius, which is about minus 94 Fahrenheit. That's colder than any vaccine that we've ever used, ever. Um, So you know, that creates a lot of challenges because you have to figure out how to keep the vaccine at that temperature from Pfizer's uh, manufacturing facility in Michigan, uh, basically all the way to San Diego, all the way to wherever it's going to be used in this country and eventually um, around the world. I mean, the UK already started vaccination um, a little bit before us. But the point, point being that to keep the vaccine at that temperature, you need large amounts of dry ice, which is basically CO2 in solid form that's really, really cold. Uh, Pfizer has figured out a a system where essentially they have styrofoam boxes that are packed uh, to the brim with dry ice and where you have the vials sitting wedged in between it. Um, And then once those doses get to the hospital, healthcare workers either transport those doses into a deep freezer. This isn't the kind of freezer you have in your kitchen, this is the kind of freezer that gets used in the laboratory that can go down to minus 70, minus 80 degrees Celsius. Um, Or you can keep the vaccine in that Pfizer shipment container, but you have to keep stocking it with dry ice uh, periodically. Um, And then when you take out those doses, you have really only about a minute or two uh, before it starts warming up to a point where you're you're concerned about wasting vials. That's one of the things that's going to be interesting to see. Um, how good of a job will these hospital systems do of, of, of not wasting the bile because they're very precious and very limited right now compared to the, the, the demand is higher than supply we can say.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you already hinted at it, but we know that we're only getting some of the initial allotment of Pfizer vaccine about how much is coming for the County and how much does this cover that initial group of people that is supposed to get vaccinated first?
1: Yeah. So what San Diego has gotten today, and and what's going to come in in the next couple of days, really is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg in terms of the fact that we're we're a county of three point three million. Uh, you know, the county public health officials have said we're expecting about twenty eight thousand doses, twenty eight thousand two hundred and seventy five, I think. Um, and and so Wilma Wooten, Dr. Wilma Wooten, who's our health officer, has said that number. Covers seventy percent of healthcare workers in hospitals who are in positions where they'd be exposed to coronavirus patients. So obviously doctors and nurses, but also people who are essentially working as custodians, people who are working in security, uh, but coming into contact with patients. So, uh, and and the other thing to keep in mind is that this is a vaccine. Actually, that you need two doses for. So those people that get the vaccine this week are going to need to come back in three to four three to four weeks time for a second dose so um, this is really just the tiniest sliver of the population and that's one of the reasons why uh, the researchers i've spoken with keep emphasizing it's going to take time to see the spread of this virus come down in our community and in the short term it's not going to be because of the vaccine it's going to have to do with social distancing wearing a mask um, and, and those sorts of common sense public health measures for the for the short-term future. Mm-hmm.
0: And also some vaccines are meant for members of the military and the military hospitals. Are those distributions a part of this initial dose, or is that separate?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so we did get some doses that came in today, uh, both for Naval Medical Center San Diego and, and for the hospital up at uh, Camp Pendleton. So that's a separate line of vaccine um, that's being handled through the Department of Defense. So that's not part of the uh, 28,000 doses that that the county has been saying they'd receive um, and that we just started to receive this morning. Uh, we actually don't know exactly how many doses the Navy is getting. So they, they held a kind of press briefing Monday morning but didn't wanna get into um, specifics. But what we do know is that vaccination is gonna begin tomorrow afternoon at Naval Medical Center San Diego and Wednesday um, over at Camp Pendleton. And, and their prioritization for who gets the vaccine first is pretty pretty much in line with uh, what the CDC has recommended uh, generally in this country, which is that you get it first to the uh, healthcare workers who are working in these frontline settings in the emergency departments, uh, ICUs. Um, so the idea is well, let's keep those people healthy so we can deal with any, any surge, and frankly, the surge that we're already seeing right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, we are really only covering the first section of the first people in line who are supposed to get vaccinated. Can you tell us a little bit about that second phase? So like, I believe it's like phase 1A and phase 1B or something like that. What is the group right after those frontline workers in hospitals? Uh, what's the next group of people that are going to get vaccinated?
1: So probably the next group of people may be, well, right after the healthcare workers in hospitals, um, folks who work in nursing homes, who live in nursing homes as well. Um, that's actually still part of phase 1A. So it's going to take some time even just to cover people who are in that that highest priority group. But once you get beyond that, um, the next group of folks who might be up are um, essential workers, people who are working in settings where you can't work at home and where the work that you do puts you at at, at risk of uh, being exposed to the coronavirus. And, um, you know, that'll likely include, you know, first responders, um, could, you know, conceivably include people who are working in grocery stores and um, driving buses, that sort of thing. You know, the CDC is issuing, is going to be issuing recommendations. There'll be a little more detailed uh, sometime this week on this. So they voted on phase 1A, they voted on uh, healthcare workers and, and people in nursing homes being at the top. They've you know, kind of suggested in, in previous presentations that the next recommendation would be essential workers in one phase 1B. And then after that, uh, that you would get to people with pre-existing medical conditions that put them at risk of developing severe disease as well as uh, older adults, people who are 65 and up um, which have made up a really big fraction, about 80% of um, COVID-related deaths in this country. So, that that's the guidelines as we have it. That that may change a little bit over the course of the week, and yeah, you know, I think you may see different states approach it in different ways because technically, uh, the prioritization is recommended by the CDC, but then states can can actually uh, approach it a little bit differently. So, we we may see some of that. Um, you know, Britain's got a different system, which really is based almost entirely on age. Um, so, so what they're trying to figure out is how to balance getting the vaccine to the people who um, are most likely to spread the virus, to transmit, um, and how to get it to, also to the people who are most likely to get really sick and possibly die if they get COVID. And, and those are, to some degree, different um, groups of people. And, and, and so that raises all kinds of, you know, ethical and practical questions.
0: Mm -hmm. And this conversation so far has been mostly on the Pfizer vaccine, but there are others in the pipeline. Where do things stand with the AstraZeneca and Moderna vaccines? When are those going to be a part of this vaccination effort?
1: So Moderna, possibly very, very soon. Um, So Moderna and Pfizer actually started their large clinical trial on on the same day this past summer, July 27th, and have pretty much been, you know, neck and neck in terms of how their vaccines have, have proceeded. So on Thursday, on the 17th, uh, we're going to hear the FDA's advisory committee talk about Moderna's vaccine the same way that they talked about Pfizer's vaccine. And what happened last Thursday with Pfizer's vaccine is that the, F- the FDA's committee recommended that the FDA authorize the vaccine, and the FDA did that about 24 hours later. So we might see the same kind of deja vu play out this Thursday, um, and then possibly... An emergency authorization on Friday. So that would um, start this whole process again with Moderna's vaccine, which actually can be kept at somewhat more feasible temperatures, minus 20 um, Celsius, which is basically about the temperature of your home freezer where you keep your ice cream. Um, so that, that doesn't have quite the same challenges in terms of um, how hard it is to keep it cold, how hard it is to keep those doses fresh. Um, So I know California is expecting, I think, to get about a little bit more than 2 million doses before the end of of this month, and that includes uh, both Moderna and and Pfizer. Um, So I think at at this stage, you know, we've talked to a lot of the hospitals about how they'll deal with with both of those vaccines coming in, um, not getting a clear sense of if certain vaccines would go to certain groups of people. These are very similar vaccines. They both use a molecule called RNA, which has a little piece of the genetic code for the virus, so the immune system learns to recognize that piece, uh, basically, and, and uh, produce a protective response. So it seems like they'll be, you know, treated very similarly once they they get here. And Moderna's could get here in about a week. AstraZeneca uh, still hasn't applied for uh, authorization of its vaccine yet, so that that could be um, sometime in January when they do that. Is what we're hearing. Mm-hmm.
0: And when it comes to the point in which the general public is finally being ready to be vaccinated, what stop gaps are in place to prevent, you know, certain people with means, celebrities and the like to jump ahead in line? How are we gonna make sure that this distribution, when it gets to, you know, people who aren't in danger of, you know, those super high risk groups, how do we keep this equitable?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh yeah, you know, I know the governor, Governor Newsom has Said that they will, the state will keep an eye out for that kind of uh, misuse or people jumping ahead in line. Uh, wasn't particularly specific in terms of saying how that would happen or if there was some kind of reporting channel, uh, you know, for people to say if, if they saw doses of vaccine going places that they shouldn't be going based on the guidelines we have. Um, so it, it's it's kind of an open question. And we'll have to see how, frankly, how good a job the state and local governments do of, of um, keeping tabs on on that issue. Um, you know, equity is a term that has been thrown around a lot in terms of talking about who should get the vaccine first. And, and one of the things that CDC, Center, Center for Disease Control, has been talking about is, um, you know, how do you figure out who the groups are who need the vaccine, who would benefit from the vaccine, who would take the vaccine, because that's another issue. How many people would actually take the vaccine and we're still at a place where doses are limited. So you don't wanna necessarily waste them by offering them to someone who's not gonna take it, um, especially when it's so hard to keep the doses you know, at these sub-zero temperatures. Uh, but then another thing they've been talking about is how do we make sure the groups who haven't had access to medical treatments or who've been kind of last in line historically are that um, we don't do that all over again. And, and so I think that was one of the things that came up in terms of uh, vaccinating essential workers relatively early, uh, not just that these are people who might be spreading the virus when they go to work and are in contact with people, but also that a lot of essential workers tend to be people of color, lower income people, for example. Um, So people have talked about equity, but I I think it's going to be, you know, for us in the media to keep close tabs on how equitable or not uh, the vaccination rollout ends up being.
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, you kind of see that over the weekend in which you hear, uh, you know, some White House staffers getting vaccinated already, and some people weren't very happy about that idea. But, you know, it kind of makes sense that someone who has been interfacing with the public the entire time makes sense for someone like that to get it ahead of someone who's able to work from home.
1: Yeah, I mean we, you know, I don't know when we're going to get vaccinated, but we've been working from home for some time and honestly could do it for a little longer. So, um, you know, I think another question frankly is going to be okay, when it, when it comes time to vaccinate essential workers, who are those essential workers? I mean, I think the CDC's estimated that about 85 million people in the in the US are involved in some kind of essential labor, and if you look at the state of California's uh, list of people who are essential workers it's it's kind of everything from people who are weather forecasters to people who you know work in grocery stores like I mentioned people who work in funeral homes and in cemeteries so you know which of those people are at maybe greatest risk of exposure to to covid nineteen and 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 how you you know prioritize that in a way that actually makes some sense is gonna be i think really complicated question, and hopefully we'll get some more details on it. Uh, But it's also something that could lead, I think, to a little bit of, you know, kind of frustration if people are not understanding the process and see someone who's getting vaccinated ahead of them, either in their state or in a different state, because two different states aren't, um, you know, on the same page. So I mean, it's just really complicated, and it's happening, you know, I think faster than, uh, you know, Fast in a way that's good, but also fast in a way that that raises so many logistical questions.
0: Yeah, the obvious challenge is that until the supply chain gets to the point where you can vaccinate everyone, we're in this space that uh, in the Atlantic, Sarah Zhang calls it vaccine purgatory. And, you know, maybe it's just the kind of weird tunnel that we're in until everyone gets vaccinated. But during this time where it's going to be a slow drip of vaccinations, nothing's really going to change what are some of the key challenges that governments are going to face to kind of keep people still willing to follow the basic tools we need to follow to keep this under check while also knowing that there is a vaccine coming to you eventually? How do you balance those two things?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that, you know, we did a story back in October about the fact that it was beginning to seem more and more like it was a question of when we'd have a vaccine rather than if, um, that, that's obviously, you know, that when has turned into like today at, at this point. But uh, one of the questions we got into back in that previous story was, well, how is the prospect of a vaccine going to affect people's behavior? Is this something that is going to give people a sense that, okay, if, you know, if we really um, keep being careful and keep adhering in terms of staying at home, washing our hands, social distancing, wearing a mask, you know, is the prospect of a vaccine going to give people added motivation, or is it going to give people a sense that, well, we're, you know, the pandemic's going to be over any minute now, the vaccine's going to save us, you know, we can, um, start throwing, you know, indoor parties and um, going to bars and that sort of thing. So, and it, it's still really not clear. I think different people are taking it in 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 different ways, and you know, we're seeing a surge in the pandemic right now. Uh, that's probably going to continue with holiday travel you know which is happening at rates much less than we would typically see but still you know during thanksgiving week i think we had about 30,000 people flying in and out of um, san diego international airport and you know some some fraction of them are likely to be carrying the coronavirus you know taking it to the to somewhere else or bringing it into the county and, and i think we're beginning to see and, and now starting to see the cases that resulted from that. Um, and then Christmas is about a week and a half away. So it's uh, it's gonna be a rough winter. And I think you know, explaining to folks or making clear that a vaccine is, is gonna do a whole lot of good in limiting the spread of this virus, but it's not gonna do much good right now because there's just not enough doses. I think that's gonna be one of the challenge, challenges. Uh, I think giving people a clear sense of, okay, when are they going to get vaccinated and and how are they going to figure that out, Uh, you know, that's going to be another challenge as well. There's probably, hopefully, going to be a point in the future where you can go to your neighborhood CVS or your doctor's office and get a shot, but it's not quite clear when that's going to happen, not clear how many people will actually get both shots you know, people might get their first shot, uh, get a headache, feel tired, and potentially not want to come around for that that second shot, which acts as a booster. So it gives you a stronger immune response and probably one that's longer lasting. Um, so I think all of those things, you're know, managing expectations, uh, figuring out how to convey to people when they're going to get vaccinated and actually following up um, so that you get both shots instead of just the one um, are probably a Small sample of um, some of the things that I, you know, public health officials are going to have to uh, grapple with for the next few months.
0: Certainly, and all of those things you mentioned are really dependent upon effective communication and societal trust. And unfortunately, as a nation, we haven't done a very good job at that.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a big problem. It, you know, and and there are certain communities where I think that's even. More true than than others, but there's definitely a you know underlying level of vaccine hesitancy. Uh, we've seen this process get you know politicized throughout the past year. You know, I think the percent of people who say they'll take a vaccine has kind of gone up and down. Uh, most recently in San Diego, it was about basically about a third of people said they would definitely get one. About a third of people said they would probably get one. Um, so it's kind of a little bit in the range of, of almost 70% um, of, of folks. So, you know, but how many of them will get both doses and um, and that sort of thing, I think that's still up in the air. Um, and, and this is all really related to another question, which is, well, how many people have to get the vaccine for it to stop the pandemic? And frankly, we don't know that. You know, I've seen estimates as low as uh, 55%, and I've seen numbers about as high as 82%, it's going to depend on a few different things. One is, is going to be how widespread the virus is in the county. So the more widely spread it is, frankly, the more people will need the vaccine because odds are without that vaccine, they'll be exposed you know, in the grocery store, in someone's house, at work. Um, so the more places the virus is moving around, the more people uh, need to be vaccinated. And right now, you know, we are clearly at a point where the virus is widespread. So that may make it harder for this vaccine as good as it, it hopefully will be um, to, to bring this pandemic, help bring this pandemic to an end.
0: Mm-hmm. Certainly everyone's hoping for a panacea, but this is a helpful treatment, but it's not that panacea. All right, Jonathan Wilson, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you want to include the San Diego Union Tribune in your morning routine, check out our daily flash briefing. Every weekday morning, hear a quick summary of the day's top stories. Just search San Diego Union Tribune wherever you get your podcasts, including smart speakers. Until next time.